0: Welcome to People From The Program, a podcast highlighting alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. Welcome everyone to People From The Program, the podcast that highlights the career journeys of alumni from the NYU Music Business Program. I'm your host, Bryce Butler, founder and chairman of the NYU Music Business Alumni Network and a proud alum myself of the NYU Music Business Program. On today's show, Our guest is Zach Feldman, lead software engineer at Framework. Zach is a technology professional and entrepreneur with over a decade of experience specializing in software, hardware, build tooling, technical training, and startup companies enabled by technology. He's worked in the computer hardware, aerospace, hospitality, education, content marketing and music industries with a focus on web technology after starting his career in the music technology industry. Zach, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Bryce. It's great to be here.
0: It's great to have you. Um, Zach, I wanted to bring you on and thank you for answering my inquiry because you have, I mean, all of my guests have very unique journeys. Your journey, though, is really, really interesting. Because you have pivoted out of the music business, but you've done super cool things on the technology and engineering side. So I figured we had to get Zach on. We got to talk to the people about this. So thank you (laughs) for deciding to come on the show.
1: Thanks, Bryce. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really high compliment. Thanks for saying that. Yeah,
0: glad to be here. You know, I've
1: listened to a few of the other episodes and uh, heard some of my former colleagues uh, from the biz- business program, music business program on here. Um, and it's cool to hear their stories. And yeah, I've definitely had a bit of a divergent path here. But uh, yeah, hopefully I can kind of show people that uh, music business degree, uh, you can really do anything with it, I think. So yeah.
0: Anything in it, you hit it right on the head. And that's why I wanted to have you on to tell your story uh shout out to our former guest sam tall uh, one of your you know another alum that you know uh he's on the show so i know zach you know him so shout out to sam but glad to have you on zach
1: absolutely and yeah i also listened to britney holloway's episode and i'm really glad she's doing well so it was great to hear from her (laughs) shout out
0: to (laughs) britney that's right (laughs) yes yes alumni supporting each other all right so let's start with the first question Tell me about your journey to the NYU Music Business Program.
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, so I guess it started in fourth grade or so. Oh, uh, man, we we were were way back. Way back. Yeah. Yeah. I know, uh, you know, not necessarily starting in high school here even, but way back when I started to get involved in music. And uh, basically it was the day that they came to the elementary school to demo all the instruments and have everyone kind of choose their path choose their weapon, so to speak, and uh, decide kind of what instrument to study initially. So uh, I picked up the trombone that day because the person who playing it in the demo uh, was playing the Star Wars theme on it. And I thought that was really cool. So next
0: thing I know, I'm playing the trombone. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I remember back in elementary school when I picked up the saxophone and wanted to play that and I played alto, tenor and bari sax all through middle, junior high and high school. interesting journey (laughs) yeah i think a lot
1: of people in the program started out as instrumentalists and being involved in bands and that kind of thing and you know different band programs and you know choirs in uh, high school that kind of thing so Uh, for me yeah started out with the trombone and then you know played it throughout uh, elementary middle school my parents convinced me to stick with it middle school i was going to quit one night i remember uh kind of coming to them tearfully and saying i don't understand how to read music i don't get this you know and they said just you know stick with it uh you know apply yourself you'll figure it out and i'm really glad i went over the hump and i did because then in high school, I got very involved uh, with the high school music scene. So, uh, you know, I joined the wind ensemble, the jazz band, uh, you oh, know, wow. then I also joined the choir, show choir, repertory theater, uh, you know, all the kind of typical like high school music program things that I could do. I did. And my high school, Scotch Plains Family High School in New Jersey has a really well-known music program in New Jersey, at least. And uh know got involved with the moon glowers which was the jazz band and you know almost every year they were winning the state championships or placing and uh yeah so i was uh first trombone my senior year i kind of climbed the ranks and uh you know i think like a lot of other people in the program like i said really got my start in high school with music um but it was really i think the sort of like side music stuff that got me interested in the music business and what i mean by that is uh, you know, my freshman year, I started a band with a friend from sleepaway camp called David and Goliath. Um, and you know, this band, it was kind of funny. I was on the taller side. My friend was on the shorter side. So we'd introduce <laughs> ourselves and say, I'd say, you know, David I'm and David and he'd say, I'm Goliath, right? <laughs> so,
0: oh yeah. man, that's great. So, so then, okay. So obviously you're playing instruments. You're really involved in the music stuff in high school. How did you find the program? specifically because you did the bachelor's you could you did the bachelor's piece correct exactly
1: yeah so um yeah so i got more into like concert organizing as high school went on like you know i started out playing in bands like that and then uh joined a ska band called the lampshades which is a kind of funny name (laughs) you know we always thought the guy at the party having the most fun is the one with the lampshade on his head so we should name the band the lampshades and um yeah joined that band and then uh actually i can tell you about a moment that i wrote my college essay about that kind of got me looking into nyu and other schools which is uh you know there was a battle of the bands at the high school and it was one of those battle of the bands where it's organized as a fundraiser for some other club that's unrelated to music and they just wanted to make some money you know have a good time and all of that and um you know it was probably our like second or third show playing out and we'd rehearsed a lot worked really hard on our 30 minute set Um, And by the end of the Battle of the Bands, you know, we were supposed to go last and they were close to 10 p.m., which is when it was supposed to end. And, uh, you know, they have some police there because high school kids can get kind of rowdy. And they basically said, look, at 10 p.m., we're going to turn off the power. And, uh, you know, if you guys aren't done by then, then uh, sorry, like we're just going to shut everything down. The kids have to go home. Uh, It's a school (laughs) night, you know. And so, um, so they did, you know, we played our first song went really well. Then in the middle of our second song, they just shut the power to the auditorium, all the lights turned off and everything.
0: Um,
1: And it was just this really magical moment because uh, when they shut down the power, you know, we were a ska band, so we had some horns, you know, not just the electric instruments, and we just kept playing the song and playing the horn parts and we could hear the audience singing along with us. It was a cover. Of like a streetlight manifesto song and it was just <laughs> this really magical moment where i realized you know wow music is so powerful you know we're here in this darkened auditorium right. we all know the song we're all singing along it feels amazing um and then the next day i thought you know how messed up is it that we got our set cut short because this was organized so poorly and uh you know i really just wanted it to be done better and so i resolved to organize the next battle of the bands myself and you know made it into a fundraiser for the stage crew instead who really were the people putting in the hard work to make it happen um and yeah that was kind of what my college essay was about and after that got really into organizing and promoting shows in high school Um, and that's why i got interested in the music business you know i thought This is really fun to put together a show make sure that musicians get a fair shake raise some money for a good cause uh Mm -hmm. that the school needs money for um you know and just how could i do this on a bigger stage like how could i do this in the city you know growing up in new jersey you kind of always aspire to go to the big city you know it's right there in front of you right Mm -hmm. so (laughs) yeah so um yeah so started looking into music business programs my junior and senior year and thinking about you know college and everything and uh yeah i think sam mentioned too there's not that many in the country you know especially at the time yeah Mm -hmm. there were i don't know eight or ten to choose from something like that and uh you know nyu had one and i always had thought it'd be really cool to go to school in the city uh definitely went there a lot growing up and always wanted to live there and yeah, applied to NYU, put together the audition video. Did you have to do an audition video, by the way, I as, did. A, as a grad?
0: What a great question. As a grad, <laughs> I really did not have to do an audition video. <laughs> thank you, thank goodness for that. Yeah, that was uh,
1: that was quite a process to like edit that whole thing together, <laughs> get all the clips from different performances. And then uh, I think I had some fade transitions, like, you know, Star Wars style, just like wipe to the next scene kind of stuff. And I think they liked that. So yeah, but yeah. Uh, put together the audition video applied, uh, you know, luckily got in, you know, I definitely know, uh, it's pretty hard to get into NYU from what I heard at the time, it was like, you know, pretty fortuitous that it all worked out. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I got involved.
0: Wow. It's so, it's so interesting that the people that organized the battle of the bands, you know, they will remain nameless, but they directly affected your viewpoint and like. I could organize this better, <laughs> which launched you into more of the minutia of the business part of music. So I love those type of stories.
1: Yeah. And I don't knock them. I mean, they were a bunch of high schoolers who, again, just wanted to do a fundraiser, have some fun with their friends. I think they just lost track of time and, you know, it's just a typical kind of thing. But I thought this is kind of messed up. Like we all worked so hard and rehearsed so hard for this event and, you know, to just kind of not be able to play our whole set. And also a lot of them really weren't musicians. They didn't understand how big of a deal that was. And so I just thought I want to do something for the musicians. You know, I want to do something for the music kids. Those are my friends. And, uh, that's why I got involved. So
0: nice. Okay. No, I love that. So, okay. So you get into the program, um, and then as you're going through the program, what was your favorite class from the program and why? That's a good question. I would definitely say calculus one. Just kidding. <laughs> hated
1: calculus so hard. It was just so difficult. I thought, why do music business majors have to know calculus? Um, but I did end up taking it later on. I'll tell you about that when I talk about my career journey and everything. I took it again at some point, but uh, no, I hated that class when I was an undergrad. Um, I would say probably in all seriousness, concert management was really good. Oh, I had yeah, Professor cool. Rich Neeson, he was a real gem and Just learning about like the actual business of what I'd done in high school was so cool, like the splits between promoters, like how to load in a like stage show with 10 trucks. And he took us to see a Metallica loaded at MSG, like, you know, wake up at four in the morning, go see Metallica load in their whole show and basically turn it into, uh, you know, a concert venue from an ice rink. Uh, you know, we saw the teleprompters. We saw Lars Ulrich's underwear set up for him, which was kind of weird, <laughs> but, you know, kind of fun. So,
0: welcome to the biz. <laughs> That's right. That's right.
1: Someone's got to put out the underwear at the superstars. And, you know, Rich <laughs> taught us that. And yeah, and I think uh, he just, you know, he was a really nice guy. He was the manager for Steel Pulse for a long time and their touring oh, manager. And he just taught me so much about what this was on a professional level and what it would take if I really wanted to become a concert promoter. Um, You know, to some degree thinking this is really hard, you know, this is not as easy as it would have been, you know, just extending what I learned in high school kind of. Um, But yeah, I was excited about it. And I think that was a good one. Um, And then I don't know one or two other favorites, I would say would be like, you know, actually oral comprehension was a really interesting Mm. class. So, you know, that's like one of the music theory kind of classes where you really learn about how to listen to things and know intervals and know kind of how to just like hear the different patterns in music. And so, you know, as someone who'd been in bands and started to pick up guitar on my own and this kind of thing, it sort of cemented the theory behind the things that I felt I'd been hearing for years and made it like make more sense, you know, harmony modes, all of this stuff. It was just like really magical. Um, and I had professor Krause for that and he was awesome. So,
0: you know, it's, it's not lost on me and, and it, it can be very easy to overlook this cause it's very basic, but the, the journey through the bachelor's degree program has some, has those subtle nuances from the graduate program. Like you almost get to, so this will tie in more as we talk about your, your background of you get. Um, this very well-rounded experience, like most people get when you got your when you're going for your bachelors, because you're taking all these different classes. You may not be necessarily declaring a major specifically, you know, early, or you might be trying different things. Whereas, you know, the graduate program, you just go right into it. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> it's a couple intro classes, but it's all music business stuff, and then you're in Stern. Whereas with the bachelors program, you know, there's a lot more you're you're easing into the fact that before you get to the hardcore classes so i think it's important just to even point that out
1: that's right yeah i think yeah the grad program i think it's like we don't have a lot of time to waste you know we got two years we got to get right into it the undergrad to me felt a lot like an exploration like you know Mm. do some theory do some business do some stuff in the middle see where your you know interests lie and you know kind of what appeals to you and, you know, that's kind of one of the reasons that my junior year I declared a minor in web applications and programming. I took a class uh, at the CS department and really liked that. And, you know, it kind of been coding on the side since I was honestly in like, I don't know, middle school or something and hmm. thought it was cool. And so it was cool that there was a the flexibility to take a minor, learn something a little bit outside of the box and, uh, you know, go in a different direction if you kind of wanted to. I didn't want to totally change majors at any point in the program, but just being able to explore, you know, see the flexibility there. In addition to, again, just like business, music, music business classes in the middle, it was just a really great experience and great exploration, so,
0: yeah. Not that we won't get too deep in yet, but the coding aspect, was there even back then something in the back of your mind saying, if I can combine music and coding I would love to do something like that or was coding just something like like you said oh i do a little bit of this oh they have a minor let me go ahead and just put this as a minor and i'll take some classes
1: sure yeah great question i mean um i think like at the time i kind of viewed coding as a little boring which is funny in retrospect (laughs) with what i've been able to do with it but you know i just thought you know i don't want to be sitting at a desk all day just like writing out code and like i don't know it just felt to me like All you were doing was going to be staring at a screen all day and i love people talking to people you know figuring out their problems finding solutions that kind of thing um but i kind of got pulled into it it was kind of hard to resist the like gravity of it and i graduated in uh, 2012 and it was a time where like the city was really becoming a startup scene a lot of technology companies coming up and just hearing about it through different places um and basically started doing a lot of websites for musicians and artists who needed websites you know everyone would say oh yeah zach he knows a bit about websites go talk with him and you know that turned into like a little consulting business that i started called sharp signals my junior year uh where i had you know three or four different clients on retainer uh one was a violin player uh you know another was uh you know sort of chef's connection kind of restaurant uh, guide thing and a few others and You know, so the coding kind of pulled me in in the sense of, well, I can make some extra cash, you know, and I can pay for those, uh, you know, Williamsburg keggers and not have to worry about the bills (laughs) and that kind of thing. Um, You know, I'm not going to lie. My parents paid my way through school. I was very lucky, you know, and I have a lot of gratitude for that. I know it's not something I take for granted. You know, um, it's just like a a struggle for a lot of folks. So um, I wasn't super, super cash strapped, but it did feel like, okay for the extra things, I can make a little bit of extra cash. I actually had a DJ business too, and I DJed orientations and that kind of thing for NYU, which was fun. Um, But yeah, I also did this web development stuff as a sort of side hustle, and then it got bigger and it got bigger. And I think by my senior year, I was thinking, do I want to kind of go into like a junior position at like an Atlantic Records or, you know, kind of a music company? Or do I want to kind of go into this coding thing? And I was still resistant to it because I thought you know, this is just sitting at a desk all day. Like this seems like really boring. I I mean, you're building the latest technology of the future and all of that, but the music stuff excited me more. And so I think even as I was graduating, working for a music tech company, I was thinking I'm really more into the music side of this and we'll see how technology has an impact. I have those skills, maybe I can leverage them somehow. Uh, But I still wasn't convinced that coding and kind of technology was the path that I wanted to take.
0: Wow, interesting. Okay, so then You've picked the minor and you're going through and you, and you finish and you've got this interesting experience, you know, with the super techie stuff, but then also you've got that music background. So if you had to pick one main takeaway you got from the program, what would you say it would be?
1: Sure. I think, um, actually it's funny it's like pay attention in writing the essay <laughs> you know this is this like freshman right. class that everybody has to take as an undergrad and everybody kind of hates it a little bit because they feel like it's very subjective and you know you get a bad grade and think like well i wrote the assignment like what's so bad about this but um i guess my takeaway is like writing is a really really important skill and it's one of those skills like we were saying where you know if you're a music business major you've got these skills you've learned that are transferable to any industry and i think being able to write really well and having to take writing the essay and the advanced college essay course, the steinhardt requirements were indispensable to my career because you know you have to communicate so much through the written word and in the remote world that we've come to it's just so much more important than it ever was uh to be able to say like okay i'm going to write an email to someone they have to understand me um or more likely these days a chat message or you know some kind of like asynchronous message uh getting your sort of point across is just really key and so i think like you know paying attention in those writing classes taking them seriously you know for me i got one bad grade and one i got like a c on an essay and i got so mad about it and i went to the writing center for help at nyu and they were great um and i realized like i learned sort of how to write in high school but not really how to express myself and so i think that was you know one of the biggest takeaways um And then, yeah, I think that uh, music business is sort of an idealistic major and it attracted a lot of super interesting people and ideas. You know, I'd say something like, you know, 50 or 60% of the people in my year are no longer in the industry. And so I think like a takeaway from that is like, It attracts folks who love music. They're a bit more practical about making it a profession, maybe than performance majors, but you get this really eclectic mix uh, in the program. And so a big takeaway was like, you know, there's so many different people doing different things and the music business isn't sort of like a monolith. I think going into it, I thought, all right, concert management, you know, maybe working at a record label, this kind of thing. But I learned about royalty management. I learned about, you know, the legal aspect of it. And I just think people took so many different paths even outside of the music industry like I did. And so, like I said, it's a major that you can really apply to a lot of different things. Um, and that was a big takeaway too, to see like, wow, look at all the crazy paths people went along you know, here and what they ended up doing. And some people ended up even becoming recording artists or you know working for a major label or working for YouTube or whatever else. And that was just so interesting. So I'd say that's another big takeaway for me.
0: Yeah, I, I love that. Um, you might be the first guest that their first main takeaway was um, becoming a better writer.
1: <laughs> and, uh, yeah I
0: like it's overlooked because we all on some level probably could become better writers but for you to make that emphasis i think is really important because writing being so fundamental and being so key in how we express ourselves
1: exactly yeah and i think it also helped me write better code later on actually because right. a lot of writing code is like not just you know does two plus two equal four but like what are you going to call to? What are you going to call the other two? What are you going to call that for? And so naming is a very important part of programming. And I think the writing skills help me with that and getting my ideas across. Um, And again, it just feels like one of those skills that's just applicable to so many different things. And so, yeah, I was thinking that when you asked me, you know, the writing has been just indispensable.
0: Yes. That makes sense because, you know, and, and maybe, I don't know, you can disagree with this. We'll, we'll get into this, but, maybe 10 to 15 years ago, this wasn't um, as big a thing, but the idea of the data storyteller now being able to not just, okay, oh yeah, you got the numbers, but you've got to be able to tell the story of the data for the people that may not get it as much as you, but you need them to understand it as much as you. So how do you do that? Well, you have to be able to write and tell that story. So maybe that also ties into that.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. That's, that's a really good point. And I think you know, a lot of times you're going to be doing that in an asynchronous manner too. So like you're, you know, having to tell the story in probably some kind of document or slideshow, and then you get 20 or 30 minutes to present it to people. But it's important to have kind of written out what your point is, what your main thesis is, what supports it. Um, You know, sometimes you're at a company where people just don't read stuff in advance. And so that's kind of a waste of time, but (laughs) hopefully a few people will. And I think that just makes a big impression. And that way you kind of capture all the learning types. You get the people who want to show up at the meeting and hear the sort of elevator pitch and then the people who asynchronously check it out and then have a question or two at the end and that way you hit all the bases so yeah
0: okay so let's start to dip our toes into the whole career space so you know you've got all your takeaways you've got your you've got your classes you graduate what was your first job when you graduated from the program
1: sure yeah so my first job was at indaba music uh which i think a lot of music business folks are familiar with i think i am familiar with indaba You've heard of Indaba? Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, now they've been acquired by splice and they're sort of no more, but they really had a formative role in a lot of music business kids, first jobs, internships, that kind of thing. Um, and that was my first job out of school. I actually interned for them. And then uh, sort of like Sam listening to his story, I became their office manager. You know, that was my first job <laughs> at Indaba. So.
0: Wow. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, I've, I've known people, and I'm familiar with Indaba. So when I saw that name come up in your experience, I'm like, "Oh yeah, I've I've heard of them." <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so your first job is Indaba. So talk about your journey from that first job to what we're currently doing now. So you started off as as the office manager at Indaba, um, you know, doing things around you know web applications, and then. That that minor, I guess, starts to starts to take hold um, while you're actually at a at a music company. So, mm-hmm. can you talk about from Ndaba to what we're doing now? Like, how do we start to make the shift to say, "Oh, this programming thing, this web app thing, maybe this is the thing that I really want to pursue"?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um. Yeah, the shift really happened at Indaba. You know, my next job was as wow. uh, an engineer. So uh, I can tell you how it happened. So, you know, started out as the office manager, you know, like you said, keeping the office managed, you know, keeping the snacks restocked uh you know setting up a video game console room and a rock climbing wall all these things you do It all startups. these things
0: sound actually kind of fun though <laughs> oh
1: it was super fun and also got to plan a few industry parties aka keg parties you know it was just like <laughs> oh we're gonna come have jukebox the ghost play and invite all the people in the industry and this is our networking opportunity this is how we get the execs at sony to come by or the execs at you know universal to come by and chat them up about our programs Um, And to me, it was great because, you know, I love throwing parties in college. I mentioned I had a little DJ business, also had the typical, uh, you know, Bushwick loft set up at one point and threw a lot of parties there at Siegel Street, if anybody remembers that. Great times. And so when they basically said, Can you throw us a party with a band? I was like, Of course, no problem. Got a keg, uh, you know, got the whole space set up with some lighting. I, you know, have a lot of DJ equipment. So I would use that sometimes. Um, So that was part of my job. And also, you know, the snacks, keeping everyone's computers in good shape, reordering that stuff. Um, But basically, the transition happened, uh, you know, probably two or three months in when uh you know like the boss matt siegel at the time said to me uh, so there's sort of two different paths you know there's the music side of the business and uh for that side uh, you could go with the sales team and go pitch uh universal and pitch uh atlantic and other artist managers for our contesting services and try to sell programs to them and this kind of thing. Or if you're interested, there's also the technology side. And for that, you know, I heard that you do a little bit of programming and we need somebody to keep the company website updated. And it wasn't the, you know, web app of Indaba, which at the time was the music contesting platform where, you know, people would submit remixes and vote on them. And then if they won, Mm. they would win a prize uh, Mm. and people remember that. And so it was more like just keep the company corporate website updated. We have to make updates from time to time. Um, And i thought cool seems like a good way to dip my toes into both and uh basically i really took to the website stuff the cto took me under his wing and he taught me the last 10 or 15% of what I had to know to really be a software engineer. This was Jesse Chan Norris, if he ever listens to this, amazing mentor for me, really set me on the right path. Nice. And then also Eric Richmond took over for him as CTO and also continued to just teach me so much about programming, about nice. using you know Git, about uh, version control, all these things that were kind of the polish on top of what I'd learned so far. Shout and out to
0: Jesse and Eric.
1: Yeah, Jesse and Eric were huge and just like a huge <laughs> influence on me um but yeah i tried both and i didn't do so well at the music and sales part and i think you know you could just say well it wasn't really music in a sense it was sort of more of the sales side and pitching people and this but i think the problem was the expectations weren't made very clear to me about what i was supposed to do and when whereas the programming it was a very clear make this show up on the website this is the end goal and i was liking the dopamine hit i got of like I did it there it is I deployed it you can see it and it works and I know how to do it and there was a lot of learning along the way of how to make it work and I I started to really enjoy that and so um, yeah so I kind of started to go down that path a bit more and you know by the time I was done there. I would call myself an associate software engineer. And my I think my title never officially changed to that. But by the time I left, I was really doing like 70 or 80% software engineering and the rest of it being like office management and snack ordering or whatever else. And uh, the reason that I left is that they actually laid off like three quarters of the company. Um, mm. You know, there were some interesting business decisions made and, you know, kind mm. of risks that were taken. And, you know, how it goes with startups. Uh, sometimes you win it all, nice. sometimes you don't. And they unfortunately just hit a really bad stumbling block. And, you know, one day I walked into, walked into the morning, uh, the co-founder said, we need to go chat about something. And next thing I knew I was out on Broadway laid off
0: looking for my next job. So looking for your next job, you know, what's, you know, what's funny about this is while you were at NDABA becoming an associate developer at the same time, I'm working for a company called Breakout Band. And if you're not familiar, Breakout Band. Interesting. Remix competitions, branded competitions in the platform social, you know, social media engagement or an engagement tool using music to engage fans on people's socials. Um and I'm working Sounds as a similar. marketing and I'm working very similar, a competitor actually. <laughs> um <laughs> I'm working as a marketing manager. So I'm reaching out to artists. We're at events trying to promote this thing. And around the same time that you got let go in December, I got let go. No way. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yes, it it's sucks. a startup, yep. A startup, same situation. Um, a lot of pivots, um, some questionable decisions. So yeah, all of that was there and yeah, just so funny how things kind of parallel each other. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think
1: that uh, I think that it's just a really rough area to make. What I realized is that music tech companies went under all the time. You know, it was actually more of the exception than the rule. And I mean, startups in general kind of go under, but I think music tech companies really have the headwinds going against them. Uh, you know, it's just music is always a hard industry to make money in and, you know, become extremely profitable in. And that's because there's a lot of people who want to be in it. You know, everybody, it's very exciting. Everyone wants to, you know, get a piece of it and meet their favorite artists and do all this stuff. And so I always thought, you know, yeah if you can make a music tech startup work it's amazing I mean like I said tons of keg parties got to go to South by Southwest and you know see DJ a track and it was it was so much fun we had a great time but at the end of the day I think the business model just needed a bit of work and they did work on that in the intervening years and do a pretty good job but it's just really hard to make it work in the music technology industry um, and you know, the truth is other tech companies have it easier if they're just selling widgets in a more efficient way, right. you know, it's boring, but you can make a lot of money doing it. And, uh, what I tried to do in my career is just steer clear of the people that were only just selling widgets more efficiently and try to do something interesting with technology, uh, for gosh sakes. So, yeah.
0: Okay. So now that you've moved, you know, with that experience at Indaba into more of the associate developer role, you're like, oh, okay. I'm. I'm getting steamed with this. Talk about contently in your next role and kind of how that really, really fully moved you into, into that developer slash engineer role.
1: Sure. Yeah. So um so yeah, I was laid off and uh, you know, just sort of hanging out in my apartment, figuring out what the next move was, <laughs> looking around, you know, hitting up my friends and my connections, and just saying, yeah, you know, had a first job out of school, but nine months in it ended, and looking for the next thing and uh, a friend of mine was the office manager at Contently, which happened to be across the hall from Indaba at 568 <laughs> Broadway, uh, which was this building that had like Foursquare and all these yeah. like, you know, New York tech companies. Bitly was there for a while. Right. Uh, tw- I think even Twitter had an office there uh, some at some point. But, you know, now they're X, whatever. We can talk about that later. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, a friend of mine was the office manager at Contently. And since we would both been office managers, we'd co-planned a bunch of events and parties and things around the office. Uh, Her name was Rebecca Taskin, a really sweet woman, amazing uh, person, and reached out to her and told her I was looking for a job. And she said, oh, you know, Contently is hiring software engineers. And I thought am I a software
0: engineer? I guess like at this point, <laughs> you're like, I, I like to over to the corporate dark side. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And I thought, well, this is kind of what I didn't want to do, but it's just, I'm getting pulled in this direction over and over again with the freelancing in school. There's a lot of demand for that. You know, I was at Indaba and they were like, can you work on the website? And then suddenly it was like, can you work on the main application? And then, I even worked on a sort of third party app to push the contest entries to YouTube, which was taking off at the time and try to get views there. And that was really my big crowning software project. When I realized, wow, you know, software can increase distribution, like to crazy levels. We're just like automatically pushing all the contest entries to YouTube. And then they're just getting views. People are just checking them out crazy. You know, you can just have a huge impact here. Um, And so I was talking with Rebecca and she said, look, we're hiring software engineers. Do you want to come in for an interview? And I thought, what the heck? Why not? Although probably. You know, I think at the time, the thing I was really worried about is I didn't have a computer science degree and every kind of fledgling engineer goes through this, especially if they are self-taught or went to a coding boot camp or something where they're like, do I need to know the algorithm stuff? Do I need to know computer science concepts? Do I have to know... You know sort of the um you know big o notation time of an algorithm there's all these sort of like you know um the lingo of software engineering and it's funny because a lot of times co- companies they don't even really need to use that stuff necessarily but it's the way google started interviewing back in the day and a lot of companies just sort of copied it and so my thought was i'm really afraid they're going to ask me computer science stuff and i'm not going to know it but looking at the job description, I could do everything they needed me to do. They needed me to write Ruby and write Rails and write uh, WordPress themes and you know that kind of work. And I had done all that yeah. stuff. It was just like, are they going to need me to be a serious computer scientist or not? And it turned out that they didn't. They mostly were just like, can you do the job? They had me come in. We talked through a few problems uh, that I would have to solve on the job. It was very you know real world. And ever since then, I've tried to run interviews in that way of like, Let's focus the interview on the actual job you'll be doing, and not, you know, some random like uh, test that you know proves that you're a badass engineer or something. That doesn't really matter. Like the day to day is what matters more. And so, you know, I did a few te- t- you know coding problems with them, and did some whiteboarding, and talked through some solutions. And then uh, later that day, I got a job offer. So,
0: <laughs> wow, that's great. You know, what do you just? I'll hit you with this a little bit of a curveball this is also around the time when when people were looking for work in 2012 it was a little bit of a rough year for a lot of people just trying to find work 2012-13 were you talking to now start talking to some of your developer friends about that whole interviewing and coding project that you would get where you would base companies were asking people come in and just scope out our whole tech stack and tell us what we need to do as part of the interview. <laughs> did you, did you hear about any of that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Just as you were moving into this type of role and becoming more technical.
1: Sure. Yeah. I think a little bit I did. And I think the thing that really helped me is the freelancing business that I did my junior and senior year, because, um, you know, one of my clients had said my site isn't performing very well. It's not working very well on the WordPress platform. You know, what should I do about this? And I thought, let me try building it with Ruby on Rails. It's something that I heard about and, you know, seems kind of cool. Hadn't really used it before. And I was using this technology called Sinatra at um, at Indaba to build this Intuba thing that sent stuff to YouTube. Great name. And uh, basically, <laughs> uh, this client was like, okay, you know, I need a Rails site. So I read the tutorials, figured it out, got the site up and running, deployed it, you know, did all this stuff. And then when I walked into the interview with Contently, they said, yeah, we're a Rails shop. We do rails only. And I thought I just did a rails project, a very simple one, but you know, <laughs> one that's uh, enough to teach me the ropes. And I think I actually, although it was a difficult time, it was just a few years after the financial crisis. And, you know, in some ways not a good job market. I think it was a really interesting time to enter the technology market in New York City because there were all these tech companies starting and they all needed software engineers and... Most of the software engineers were in Mountain View. They were in Silicon Valley. They were not in New York City. And if they were, they were mostly quants. They worked on Wall Street. They didn't really work in application development for web apps, mobile apps, that kind of thing. And so I think it was honestly just a matter of timing where it was just like, this guy knows enough to be dangerous. you know? Let's get him started here and see what he can do. you know? And what's funny is I think even four to eight years later, four to six years later, it became much more competitive. And so it's the kind of thing where I wonder if I walked into that company in the year 2020 or the year 2018 would it have gone the same way you know maybe not I don't know if it would have so I think it was just a matter of timing and you know learning the right language at the right time Ruby Rails they just started to get really big in the New York City startup scene um so a little bit of preparation but I think a lot of timing uh, a lot of luck and just kind of the stars aligning you know are how I got that job and I think it's really lucky I look back on it and look at it as sort of the start of my real programming career at Contently and just lucky that it all kind of worked out so
0: nice excellent okay so so you're moving and shaking at contently tell us about the new york code and design academy this is very interesting i've been looking forward to hearing about this
1: absolutely yeah so um so let me try to think of the best way to break this one down so yeah contently was great i was there for about a year Um, i mostly worked on sort of content publishing integration so they had this tool to Uh, you know, let people write articles for content marketing. So for like American Express, let's say they want an article about uh, great ways to spend your vacation in Aruba and, you know, spend money on your Amex card, (laughs) like they would kind of farm that out to Contently. And the idea with Contently was they wanted to be not a content farm, but a source of quality content. And so they had a platform where you could you know, make a portfolio if you were a writer on one side, and then on the other side, hire those writers if you were a content marketer and have really high quality submissions of different articles and stuff. So mostly worked there on the integration between that platform and sites like WordPress and Tumblr and making sure that it was easy to push the content once it was written to those sites with the push of a button, You know, okay, my article's done, let me push it out here. It'll go to WordPress, it'll go to Tumblr. Um, so I built a bunch of integrations there. And, um, you know, on the side, I had started to kind of have a little bit of an interest in teaching, I think, because I heard about the site called Skillshare, uh, that I I don't know if it's really Mm -hmm. still around or in the same form. But uh, basically, it was the site where anybody could list a course, uh, and then anybody could take it and pay you to take it and they would process the payments and, you know, put up the location of the course on the site, make it easier, people to find it, that kind of thing. And so Uh, I thought, well, this could be an interesting way to make a little bit of side cash. You know, I've now been an engineer for a year and a half, two years, and I just started this myself. I think I know enough to teach people the basics and kind of what they have to learn. And so I put up a little course about just building your first website. I thought it'd be kind of fun to teach people how do I build my first web page, you know, from like sort of soup to nuts, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, um and so it got a lot of interest and i taught two or three sessions of it at a co-working space in like gowanus or something and so i had been doing that and you know i probably was doing that a month or two into the job and contently again just thinking you know building a website is pretty basic building a web application you know building integrations with wordpress and tumblr that was still pretty complex stuff to me um, and so then I put that on my LinkedIn and, you know, I put that I was a Rails uh, software engineer contently. And I got a cold reach out from someone who said to me, I have a friend who's starting a coding school and they're looking for teachers, they're looking for people to teach classes at night on Ruby on Rails. And I see you've got Ruby on Rails in your resume. Would you like to interview with the position? And I said, <laughs> you know, sure, why not? And I'm thinking in the back of my head, I just started as an engineer like two months ago. With my first real like full-time gig and sure i've been writing code since middle school but not professionally and whatever i'll just try to go for it and see what the syllabus entails and whatever and uh interviewed they liked me i told them about the classes i've been teaching on skillshare and they hired me to teach this class part-time and that was when i met my future co-founder jeremy snapper so uh jeremy's a really great guy uh he had this idea to start a coding school because he worked for, at the time, uh, Mesa Capital, uh, who was which was run by Mark Patrickoff. And like I said, this was a big time for tech startups in the city. Um, you know, there were all these companies starting and they were working on funding them. He mostly came from a finance background, Jeremy, and he also worked for the New York Film Academy for many years. And so he knew finance and knew academics, starting schools, that kind of thing. Not like typical schools, you know, but these kinds of schools that taught very specific things, trade schools, I guess you'd call them. And uh, he had the idea of, well there's all these companies getting funded and they all need software engineers but most of the software engineers are in silicon valley or they don't have the right skills to build web applications or to build mobile applications you know where are they getting all these people how is this how is this actually going to work this makes no sense and you know every company that he asked every new potential portfolio company said the same thing they said We don't know where we're going to get software engineers but we do know we're going to need a lot of money to pay them and so we're going to need you guys to help us raise this money and uh you know we'll figure it out when we get there and so a light bulb kind of went off in his head after working at the new york film academy of what if i started a school to just teach people enough to be dangerous you know to learn to code and this was around the same time that general assembly was founded the Flatiron school Uh, was founded these are like the mainstays of the new york city coding education coding bootcamp scene and general assembly uh around around six months i think potentially something like that before uh the code and design academy was founded general assembly had pivoted from being just a co-working space to being a co-working space that also offered coding classes and then realizing well wait the coding classes are more popular we should just you know double down on that and now they're a you know billion dollar behemoth or uh, i think they've been acquired at some point i don't even know what their status is but my point is he realized this seems to be where things are going. We need like trade schools for software engineers. Um, and he, you know, having been someone in venture, said, what's the easiest way that I can test this? You know, he finds, uh, you know, instructor at a local community college that was teaching Rails and web development and said, put me, uh, put together a syllabus for me. Maybe you can teach the first class for this. And the instructor had said, actually, you know, I can't, I'm too busy, other, you know, uh, obligations, whatever. And that's when he went to recruit folks and that's when he found me. And uh, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the story of the founding of the Code and Design Academy uh, from his view. And then what happened is I sort of taught these classes part-time for him for around six months. And then you know, one night he says to me, let's go grab a drink at, at Fish Bar. And I'm like, sure, why not? And we go out and he says, look, man, I wanna go raise some money. I wanna make this into like a real thing. I wanna like make this into a real business. I wanna make this into a real school, most importantly, that helps people learn to code, gets them jobs in the industry, starts off their careers on the right foot. Um, we need some money to do that. You know, it's not going to be cheap. We're going to need a building. We're going to have to hire a lot more teachers. We're going to have to get a whole program together. At some point we'll have to get approved by the state. It'll be a whole thing. Um, but how would you feel about being my co-founder? You know, how would
0: you feel about doing this with
1: me? So,
0: wow. And so then doing it. And so then asking you to become the co-founder, you then begin to what, like build out all of the curriculums and, and how the business is going to go and what's going to be taught and what's going to be offered to the students? Was it kind of like that, where you just, you just went in and started really building this thing from scratch, but based on the instructor stuff that you were doing?
1: Exactly. Yeah, that was, that was kind of how it went. And, and yeah, basically I, you know, we put together an offer, I accepted it and, you know, we came up with an equity split and all of this stuff. And, uh, I became the chief academic officer and co-founder of the New York Code and Design Academy. And I think I was 23. And so I thought, This seems like way too much responsibility but hopefully i can figure it out like i have so far you know with this coding and technology stuff um and yeah basically it was actually really fortuitous but also a little sad circumstances the night before i started i think it was january 2nd when we started on the new company i'd given notice of contently i'd left um you know i was ready to start the new job my college girlfriend broke up with me (laughs) of like three or four years and so you know the first week of work wow. i came in i was really morose and sad but i also thought you know i don't have anything else going on in my life right now i've got this new company i'm going to found like i'm sad about losing this relationship it's kind of the end of a, of a sort of like you know the end of my youth in a sense um, but i'm going to throw everything that i have into throwing this into making this startup successful doing it right and so the first thing i did on day one well actually the very first thing we did is we met at a coffee shop and We thought we said what do you want to do about an office like we were gonna have to have an office this was in uh i don't know 2013 2014 something so it wasn't like after covid where we're like let's just start remotely we were like we need an office of some kind and so i had a friend with an an architecture firm where they had a few extra desks and we got a sweetheart deal from him and so then that first day we had an office and then so i guess the second day the first uh, first thing i started to do for real was uh, our website was pretty bad. <laughs> I thought, we're a coding <laughs> school. We can't have a bad website. You can't have, have a bad have website. A great a website. School, no. That's right. It's got to work well on mobile. It's got to you know be responsive and have low load time. So I spent most of the first week building the website, and then I was still teaching the classes at night, so I would do that too, um, and thinking about, okay, we need to figure out a way for students to contact us and sign up for classes, the only class we have so far. Um, and then I just remember that Friday we grabbed drinks and he said, you know, man, the whole week you've been kind of down, like, are you okay? What's going on in your life? Are you all right? And I never really opened up to the guy. You know, we were just, you know, just like, you know, business relationship, not really friends. Right, right, right. Uh, but I said, you know, my girlfriend broke up with me the night before I started this job and I'm just in a bad place and it's going to be rough for a few weeks, but I'm hundred percent committed and I'm going to throw all my energy into this. And he was like, that sucks, dude. And we drank some shots and, you know got started and got going in earnest so
0: yeah <laughs> so this was so we can think of this as you going through the heartbreak and like you know people in art in the industry they write a song you became a co-founder
1: <laughs> yeah actually that's a good way to think of it and i mean i'd written a few songs but i realized it wasn't great at it another reason i didn't go into the music biz um you know i had a few but i just thought you know what if i ha- i need to like put all my energy into something i've always been a bit of an entrepreneur with the dj business and stuff and This is a real business with like a real finance guy like knows what he's doing and he's like you know seen companies get started before he could really teach me a lot and he really did over the intervening years and so yeah i mean in summary like you said i i created a curriculum from scratch for a lot of other classes i started with the rails curriculum i you know refined it made it better made it simpler clearer um i started making more of our own lessons you know i think originally it was like go to this tutorial go to this one you know and i thought that's not going to really last and eventually we'll get sued for doing that or something so (laughs) you know i started writing my own slideshows my own stuff and you know i think one of the questions you might ask here is well what did you some 23 year old know about coding and about Feeling like you could know enough to teach other people this and the people right. in our classes were all like in their 30s and 40s they were professionals right. who wanted to learn about code and heard about this new thing and how it was important and i think that the reason it worked is that i was also kind of a beginner too and learning a little bit of, as a, of it as i went along and I had a lot of mentors i checked in with people asked them if what i was doing was off base or crazy or anything right. um, you know if my approach was good and mostly it was and i think having been a beginner myself so recently actually really helped me explain these concepts in addition to those writing skills i mentioned to beginners who were also just getting started in the industry and just figuring out how to code themselves Uh, and that was kind of a hidden advantage in a sense because my lessons were pretty clear people got them understood them and then i would bring in experts if i didn't know something like you know, we launched a Rails class, we launched a basic front-end class, um, you know, and then we wanted to launch a UX class. And so I made uh, contact with a very close friend of mine to this day, Sasha Tamarina, who is one of my uh, sister's friends from high school, now a close friend of mine too. Um, And, you know, asked her, hey, Sasha, you're big into UX and design. Like, could you help me build a little course on that? And we could do an eight-week you know, twice a week evening course on it and you could teach the first few sections and then maybe we could have other folks come in and teach it and she said yeah that sounds like fun and so we built out a whole course catalog of you know five or six different evening classes um and then we moved on to the the boot camp and that was really the sort of gem of the whole thing which was okay people can learn a little bit at night on the side and kind of learn how to code and learn enough to be dangerous and talk to engineers and maybe build a few websites themselves but could we actually take someone and make them into a software engineer to the point where they could get their first job? And that was really what Mm. General Assembly, Flatiron School, all of our competitors were starting to do. Um, And so my co-founder said, Zach, you got to figure out this uh, full-time program. What are we going to do for that? And what was great is I just said, well, I've got four evening programs. Let me just smoosh them all together, add a few extra lessons here and a few, a bit of additional content. And we'll talk a bit about how to get your first job. You want to have a GitHub. You want to study some computer science and algorithms things so you don't sound like a complete idiot, you know, enough to know kind of what these things are and what these concepts mean. Um, And honestly, at that time, that was kind of enough to get you your first gig. And it wasn't a universal formula for success. You know, I think the problem with a lot of the boot camps is that they promised a lot and then kind of under delivered. -delivered, But I think, again it was a really unique time in the New York city tech scene where you kind of could get a job after a three month long boot camp and get your start. And we saw pretty high success rates, especially in the early days with this. And then we added, you know, career counseling and other services on top of this to kind of layer on. And I think towards the end, it got more difficult, a lot more competition emerged and the whole industry really consolidated a few years ago. But, when we were starting this there just wasn't much like it and it worked pretty well didn't work for everybody but i was really proud of the students who after graduating you know a few weeks went by they'd get their first job you know and then some people it took a little longer but eventually they'd land that first gig and then others might say you know i learned a lot about coding and technology but i'm not really cut out for it and they at least have that knowledge in whatever career they were in you know we weren't 100 percent perfect with every student but i think the main thing was this was a unique time where there was such a high demand for engineers people wanted to take on folks who could learn. I don't really know if that's the case as much anymore, but
0: at the time it was, and it kind of worked, so. Right, and just to be clear, the the New York Cone Design Academy was eventually acquired, correct?
1: Yes, that's true. So I got to go through the whole startup journey cycle from two people working at my friend's architecture firm to we have our own offices downtown in the financial district that we redecorated ourselves. I have a staff of thirty people under me. My co-founder has a staff of forty. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm running the curriculum department, but also the engineering department because we have to have a portal for all the students to sign up and you know take their deposits and stuff. And it became a huge enterprise. Like within three years, we had locations in New York. We also had Philadelphia. We had Amsterdam, which was really fun. Um, I got to go out there four or five times to set up our location there, hire instructors, teach a few of the classes myself. There was a time where we were gonna start a class and we didn't have an instructor in Amsterdam. And my co-founder turned to me and said, go there and teach it yourself. And I said, no problem, I'll live in Amsterdam for two or three weeks on the company's (laughs) time. Sounds like a great time. And on one of those trips, you know, I was heading over to Amsterdam and I was lucky enough to take a little jaunt to Morocco. I thought, oh, Morocco, it's like, you know, four hour flight from Amsterdam, I've never been to Africa. I'd love to check it out. And I was on a camel when I got a text from my co-founder that said, we have an offer to buy the company. <laughs> you know, what do you what do you want to do about it? You know, what do you think? And I said, I don't know, I've never done this before. I mean, you're the finance guy, is it a good offer? Should we do this? Like, what are the repercussions of this? But obviously I was pretty excited. You know, I had some equity in the company. I thought this could be a great outcome. And, you know, next thing I know, two or three days later, I'm printing out the term sheets in Amsterdam at someone's, I borrowed someone's printer. Uh, took, a, took out a pen, signed away the company, and we sold the company to Strayer Education Inc. Um, and yeah, that was my first acquisition. And honestly, it's funny, I've worked for a lot of startups wow. since then, and that was really the only one so far, I think, where the equity was really meaningful and it made a difference in my life. And I think yes. it's really hard to get to that situation. I think that's you know a pretty rare outcome. So again, I really count myself incredibly lucky that we got to that point and we built a business and a school that was really appealing, and you know, helped a lot of people. That's really what I wanted to do, and yeah, selfishly, it helped me too. You know, we got to sell the company and did very well. And um, you know, my co-founder, again, I learned so much from him, and we're still friends to this day. You know, we still hang out, send each other Christmas cards, grab a drink in the city from time to time. And uh, he really taught me so much. He was ten years my senior. Uh, mm. You know, had a lot of experience in business and founding companies and this kind of thing. And I'm really forever in his debt. He taught me so much. So
0: yeah wow I mean that's just an amazing story Zach and 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 (laughs) tell the people tell the people how much did that company sell for um let me think here
1: I think it sold for 25 million
0: 25 million so everyone just to be clear um Phil Collins has his in the air tonight after his heartbreak um, Zach Feldman has 25 million sold. So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you it's see, not like I have $25 million,
0: but that's a, that's a great accomplishment. Um, Thank you. put your heartbreak and turn it into something and everyone can relate to that on some level. So man, sure. that that's a great part of the story, Zach. Okay. So we gotta, we, we gotta get the rest in. So New York code and design academy sales, you're there. Um, you're doing great work. Talk about getaway because getaway gets us, and we're going to get to this people getaway gets us to start talking and thinking about space, (laughs) which, which we have to, which we will get to and talk about, but talk about your next venture and talk about getaway.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So, um so basically yeah i after getting acquired the typical thing happened where you kind of get disenchanted with whoever bought you and after six months i said i don't really want to be here anymore you know this isn't really what i want to do anymore i I, again had a lot of people reporting to me i don't know 15 20 25 whatever it was and i was basically managing all these people and i realized i got really far away from the technical work that i really loved and so uh went on vacation with my now wife who by the way i met through steinhardt you know she's amazing bernadette and she was in the music education program and we met through mutual friends um Exactly. And I have NYU to thank for that. Love her very much. And so I was on vacation with her at the time, my girlfriend, and really, you know, sort of having the heart wrenching decision of like, should I leave? This is what I've done for, for, you know, three, three and a half years. I put all my life into this. Like, is it really the right time to leave and decided to come back and tell my co-founder I had to get out. Um, And he was really gracious about it. You know, we figured out a good way for me to separate from the company and transition all my duties and stuff. And again, great guy and then i was looking for kind of the next thing and just like googling around looking for cool stuff on the web and i found tiny houses and i thought these are cool i've always been kind of into architecture um did a summer program on architecture at pratt uh when i was in high school and loved it and uh these tiny houses came up called from this company called getaway they look kind of cool and so i reached out sent a cold email and said hey you know i just um sold a company i'm a tech guy looking for my next thing and uh excuse me and you know do you guys need any technology help is there anything you need help with you know maybe i could do some freelancing for you or something i wasn't really ready to just like you know dive headfirst into the next thing um and they replied the next day and said actually yes Uh, we just had an intern it was supposed to build out a bunch of tech stuff for us this summer and fortunately it didn't work out and now we're in the position where we don't have an easy way to see who's coming the next day at our first location we have four cabins there uh and to find out who's coming we have to do this really inefficient thing in our wordpress plugin to get that information so if you're able to build something that shows who's just going to arrive each day that'd be amazing and we'll pay you for that um and they were willing to pay me in both nights free nights in the cabin and money a little bit and I thought that sounds fun sure why not and so i built this tool that would email them every day it would sort of scan their wordpress database and put together a list of all the reservations and tell them this is who's coming today and that was how i got started at getaway
0: Oh, wow. I mean, it's it's just so interesting. what's what was it like though, transitioning from this huge undertaking and thirty people under you and you know, being a co-founder and then having the company sold to to working and being a getaway for what it was like four years like like what was that what was that transition like in trying to complete that work?
1: It was honestly great because when I went to interview with the company, I think there were, I think I was employee number seven or eight, something like that. And I went to interview at their, uh, they had an office at Green Desk in uh, downtown Brooklyn. And I walked in and basically it was this one woman, Sarah Relo, who's also amazing. And she said, yeah, John is just out to lunch, but he'll be back in a sec for your interview. And it was just her sitting in a little room uh, and there was a chair for him and a chair for her. And that was getaway (laughs) basically at the time (laughs) and some people who worked remotely. And yeah, so I was like, Well, I thought the company I was at before was too big, and now this is the opposite, and this is great. I mean, I wanted to just start from scratch again, and what I didn't want was to be a co-founder so soon because I realized how much pressure that was and how intense it was. But I wanted to sort of help create a business from the ground up again and, you know, really define the technology for it and how it would work and how the experience would be for guests and users of the service and that kind of thing. And so it was a perfect chance to kind of reinvent myself and also start something from scratch again without the pressure of, you know, the co-foundership and feeling like, you know, if you're a founder, the buck really stops with you. You have to be available all the time. You can't turn your phone off ever. You know, people, you have to be reachable. So. It was a great transition for me, and uh, I just got to work building all the technology they needed. So I started with, again, the email of who was coming every day, um, and then it ended up turning into, from that seed, a full-fledged booking system, and... The founder said to me, like, I really want to build a lot of stuff from scratch. I want to create our own cabins, you know, from scratch and design them from scratch and build them. uh, Maybe not ourselves, maybe with some help from contractors, but, you know, really know how they come together and the costs behind them. And I want our technology to be the same. You know, I want to build our own booking system. I don't want to use some off the shelf thing that looks crappy. That's hard to use. I want to build a really good experience for users uh, to be able to book the cabins. And so... I thought, well, Rails to the rescue. You know, I now know Ruby on Rails really well because I spent the last three years teaching you know, hundreds of people how to use it. And uh, I got to work building this uh, Ruby on Rails monolith. That's what we call it. And uh, I remember I built the reservation system. I was on a train ride visiting my uh, wife's family in Germany and um, I had like five or six hours offline. And so you can do development work offline if you uh, set up your server correctly. And I spent five or six hours building this algorithm to figure out is a night available if we have this many reservations you know can you book this night right. and it worked and i wrote a bunch of automated tests for it and stuff and um you know and so i built a whole reservation system for them and the back end for it and then got some help on the front end from uh, you know sort of the design and like you know look and feel of the site um and built some of that myself but mostly hired it out to um this guy adam rader another really awesome dude who i met at my cda and um you know, so that was one part of it. And then the other part of it is the, um, you know, the hardware and sort of like cabin system. So I think about it, when you go to this cabin in the middle of the woods, you want it to be secure, you need like a key card or some way right. and you check mm-hmm. in. Um, but one of the things about the service is like, you don't have to meet anybody, you just get there, get into the cabin, start enjoying it, there's no front desk. Um, right. And so we needed a way to get people into the cabins where, you know, they could do that in a sort of automated fashion. And that would change every guest so that the last guest couldn't get back into the cabin when the reservation was over. Um, and so I, I built a system based off of smart things using Z-Wave locks that would, uh, sort of write a code to the database in a secure manner, and then set the code every day based on which guest was there, or if it was two or three days, whatever the reservation was, um, and then erase it when they left. And I built that system using off-the-shelf components Um, and you know we were looking into comparable systems like latch or these sort of like building wide uh, key systems but they were incredibly expensive Um, so i built something using basically consumer grade hardware Um, and then the hard part was it had to work in the woods so you're sort of like you know in the middle of nowhere in catskill new york and you have to send this code (laughs) to a cabin and write it to the lock somehow and so i figured out okay like satellite internet like lte like what do we do here and Found these verizon routers that worked luckily there was a verizon signal there you know they've got bars everywhere and uh we found a solution that worked and basically we were able to not only program the codes when every guest came and left but also unlock the cabins remotely if people got locked out and so that system proved to be kind of indispensable to the whole idea of go out into the woods have your code you just go in and enjoy your cabin and i'm really proud of that part of it but those are kind of the two things the major things that i built i think while i was a
0: getaway Zach, do you have you ever seen the movie Barbarian?
1: No, I don't think I have.
0: <laughs> okay, my I'm not going to get into it, but my listeners will understand that reference if they have seen it. This technology sounds like the beginning of the movie Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to check that out uh, after this. You will have to go watch. You will have to go watch the movie. Um, again, those who are listening that that have seen the movie. I, I wonder if you, when I post this episode, I want you who are who know Barbarian to come into the comment section and say when Sam started telling this story and talking about Gateway, were you thinking Barbarian? <laughs> <laughs> I love your crowd participation. Let me know, um, Zach. You're gonna um, watch this, and um, oh, oh! Absolutely. Did I say Sam? My apologies, Zach. Oh, <laughs> Zach, okay. you're going to you're going to watch this, Zach, and. You're going to let us know after you watch Barbarian. You'll say, I see why you said that. You're going to let us know that. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You're to, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, going to, you're going to get the reference. But okay, so <laughs> three years at getaway. That fourth year, you start preparing for new space. Tell us about that. Sure, absolutely.
1: Um, so like all good things, you know, for me, getaway came to an end and what happened is, uh, it just got too big, you know, kind of like the code and design academy and (laughs) it got a little bit more into politics and a little bit more about, you know, arguing for different projects to get done and kind of like a little less about innovative technology solutions from the ground up, uh, and more about management and that kind of thing. And I sort of realized I was unhappy there after three years. Um when i had a team and i was i was vp of technology and sat in every week with the vp meeting and talking with other vps about problems and this kind of thing and just thinking i kind of got away again from technology and that's really what made me happy um in addition to music of course here we are in the music biz podcast but you know i realized uh you know i want to continue in technology but i don't know if this size company is good for me i want to explore other things and so um i resigned you know gave The CEO actually asked me to give a month's notice because I built a lot of the systems from scratch and he wanted to make sure that there was enough of a transition to other folks and so actually did that and then freelanced for them for a little bit after that I really wanted to make sure that I didn't leave them high and dry and then I started thinking about what was next and You know i'd always kind of followed elon you know and all of his stuff as a technologist someone who cared about new and interesting technology and uh it's kind of funny to say that now because i think at this point we all know elon has gone off the rails a little bit and so you know but this was kind of at the peak of like elon is an innovator he's tony stark you know there was that period where he really had a lot of respect i think and people saw what he had built and were really impressed and I don't know if that's the case anymore. But at the time, I thought, <laughs> this is someone I want to kind of work for. Like, what would this be like? That was one part of it. And then I also thought I have now sort of like done a bunch of technology stuff and I have the skills now. Um still don't have the computer science degree, but I think I've built enough stuff that I could build almost anything. And what could I build that would be most cool? And like what area have I always been interested in, but never thought I could really, Get there with my technology skills and the area I thought about was space. Just you know, space in general. I always (laughs) read sci-fi books growing up and was into Isaac Asimov, and you know that was kind of the reason I was into computers. I read a lot of books about them growing up and about uh, science fiction concepts and space travel and all this. And like I mentioned, this whole to bring it full circle, the reason I started playing trombone is that someone was playing Star Wars, and I loved Star Wars as a kid. So um, yeah, I just thought you know, maybe the next step is space, like, how would I get into that? How does this work? And um, so I took a few months off and tried to figure that out. And um, I started taking physics and calculus classes actually online at Thomas Edison State University, which has a great distance learning program. Uh, As I mentioned, didn't do very well in calculus while I was in the music business program because I thought, when is a music business major ever going to have to use calculus? (laughs) Like, this makes no sense. Um, (laughs) Now I thought I might have to use calculus, so I better go learn it. And uh, I took Calc 1 and Calc 2 and Physics 1 and Physics 2 and did all the experiments and, you know, coursework and stuff and, you know, did okay with it. Got an A in Calc 1 and a C in Calc 2, but I made it through and I learned a <laughs> um, And then I started talking with folks in the industry. I just started gathering intel, like, you know, tapping all my LinkedIn network. And I didn't know almost anybody in aerospace. I mean, I went on my LinkedIn and I knew people in hospitality and in education and all these tangential, not even tangential industries. And so... Um, I basically took any connection I could find and I emailed my family. I emailed everybody I knew and said, you know, or called them and said, if you know anybody in aerospace, please send them my way. I want to know more about it. Just like send me folks who know. Uh, and then I started making a list of companies. Okay. SpaceX is the one that's obvious. That's Elon's company. I know them, you know, they're doing some pretty crazy things. Um, and then I added a bunch of other companies to the list, relativity space, um, you know. I can't remember all the rest of them now because some of them have gone under since but i made a huge list of space companies and i applied at all of them basically and just uh you know spent a lot of time writing cover letters again i took a few months off to really dedicate all of my time to this and you know explained i have been in other industries and i've built technology from scratch and i think i can learn what i have to learn to be successful at these companies and you know really trying to tailor each cover letter to each company and trying super hard to like make myself stand out and all of this and I heard back from nobody <laughs> you know it was mm. really disappointing. <laughs> um so yeah so at a certain point i made a connection with somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody at spacex basically my sister's college friend's friend or something like that was at spacex and got right. on the phone with him and chatted it out and you know he kind of recognized like you are kind of a guy who might be able to fit in here you've been pretty scrappy at all these startups like you know, it seems like you might have a chance here. Like, sure, I'll make an intro to one of the hiring managers. And I finally heard back from someone. And so wow. I heard about this position at SpaceX, on um, the software delivery engineering team. And um, I was like, what's that? I have no idea, I've never heard of that. <laughs> and um, what it actually was is the team that sort of made sure that other software teams could be efficient. So, you know, software engineers have to use a lot of different tools uh, of the trade in order to be successful. And so, for example, one of them is like test automation. And what that means is like, you basically write code to make sure that your code works correctly and validates that it does what you expect it to. And obviously in an environment like SpaceX, that's incredibly important to make sure that your mission goes right. And especially when human lives are on the line that, you know, uh, the like oxygen systems work correctly. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here, you know, but there's lots of stuff that has to work. right, And so, what this team did is it maintained all the infrastructure that all the other teams used to run those tests and made them go faster, um, also maintained all the source control and kind of like code repository stuff. Um, there's some stuff I can probably say on the air and some stuff I should refrain from, but generally that's what the team Fair did. Fair enough. Yeah, and uh, helped teams across the company to do that. And so... Um, got my interview with Software Delivery. Again, I spent so much time on it, really making sure I was prepared, uh, looking into all my interviewers, like maybe LinkedIn stalking them a little bit and seeing what they had done and kind right. of learning about them. Just really, I put everything into this interview because it meant so much to me. It was the only company I'd heard back from. Um, you know, it was really my only chance to get and break into the industry. And it was one of the most impressive companies to me. So um, right. yeah, so I went through the interview process and you know it was really hard. There were like four different interviews um they were very intense you know all the way from algorithm problems coding tests you know you can read online about what spacex does to interview people but it's a pretty intense process and luckily made it through each step and then next thing i knew i had a job offer and they said you have to move to la even though the pandemic just started if you want to do this wow had to have that conversation with my wife are you willing to move (laughs) to la for this dream is this okay can we do this you know
0: wow so let me Let me back up a little bit, though, and ask you this, what is that like, because just to give this the right context, you're coming from co-founding a company, having that company sold, building it up, you know, you, you know, you might like the smaller environment, but the reality is, big title, you're a VP of technology, so you have all of this experience, you have really kind of bull you know you've gone after what you want and you've bulldozed your way through so now you're coming to spacex and they're like okay we want you to be senior software engineer do you have to work through any friction of look i came from these places where i was the person to coming into spacex and then you know hey you're still bringing your skills you're doing all of these things but the the titles don't line up the same how did you navigate that That's really flattering
1: of you to say, you know? (laughs) But I think in in the end, I just thought, I'll take any opportunity I can to break into aerospace. And actually I kind of remembered the early days of the music business stuff and the Rolodex project and, you know, how it's all about connections and networking and who you know, it's not about what you know necessarily and Mm. about how you have to be willing to take any opportunity you can get. You know, you can't be picky about it. If you want to break into this industry that's so competitive that everybody wants to be in, you know just like the music business like i said everyone wants to meet their favorite artist everyone wants to work in AR. it sounds so cool right guess what industry is similar to that aerospace you know aerospace. yes i want to launch rockets absolutely that sounds amazing <laughs> so you know i really swallowed my pride and said i'll take any position that i can you know and if i prove myself Maybe I'll get lucky and rise up through the ranks and all that. And it'll work for me, and if it doesn't, I'm sure I can go be VP of Technology for some e-commerce company if I want to. Um, but I also realized I really am a builder, and I love creating things and coding, and again, just being like, we have to find a way to unlock cabins in the middle of the woods. Nobody has ever really done this before. How do we do this? Like that <laughs> yeah, really know. enthralled me, and so um, I would not really care as much for the management titles, and so. Kind of a weird thing about my career, I guess, looking back on it, is I went from like, you know, chief whatever to like senior software engineer. Now I'm still a lead software engineer, but I'm very happy in this position because I just get to create and build and,
0: you know, that kind of thing. So, Yeah, you're focused You're focused on the actual job and the skills that you bring to it and the love and the passion you have for building things. I'm not necessarily focused on, well, I have to have this specific title or anything like that
1: exactly titles never really mattered to me and i mean i don't know i think it's kind of a little crazy for me to say that because i was lucky to be a founder and chief whatever and so i got to have that you know I, it's like you know not everybody can say that and so for me it's like i kind of got to try that it was cool to be in charge but it's a lot of responsibility and i don't care as much about that i just want to do interesting things so
0: right no absolutely and then you, know, you get this you get this kind of wonderful opportunity at at spacex what can you how can i ask this let's go into a little bit of just i'm interested in the idea of the other engineers you're you're working with and kind of can you give us some of the inside baseball of what that process was like doing that at spacex versus working with other engineers and the and the um technical teams at some of your other companies like was it night and day or did you find that there were some similarities
1: Sure. Absolutely. You know, like I mentioned, I can't go into too many specifics because they are like a very secretive company. Uh, but I think one way to look into it is that, uh, one of my coworkers, Aaron Ishimotisha, I hope I'm saying that right. Aaron, if you ever listen to this, um, <laughs> she wrote an article for stack overflow about what it was like to work on my team, the software delivery engineering team. And so, uh, there were a good number of things kind of revealed in that article that I can talk about. And I think, um, I guess yeah i can just say generally the caliber of engineer was super high there and right. i learned things that i never had learned at other companies and i think part of it is that i had been in kind of leadership positions and so i had people under me a lot of times before that and i rose up through the ranks because i guess i was good with people or whatever and so um, in a lot of ways it was good to become a senior software engineer and get taught by other people what was good and what was bad and, and what worked and what didn't and i think that you know the real difference there is the engineering culture and Um, You know, they have a partnership with NASA, you have to build things to the standards of NASA and you know to safety standards and all of this and i think that was something i was not really familiar with you know i had built systems where you know if someone gets locked out of their cabin that's too bad but there's a backup key underneath it you know or something don't tell anybody there's a way <laughs> to kind of get in the uh you know staff can get access to that if they need to they're not going to be totally high and dry but obviously when you're out there in space you know you're depending on the systems to basically keep you alive and you're you alive, know, keep things alive yeah. running so the standards for the software were incredibly high and not only that but um you know just it was really engineering driven Uh, they don't really hire product managers, designers, that kind of thing. And so it was very much like, you know, we have all engineers here working on problems. They'll come up with all the solutions. Uh, they'll write the tickets that you do and the JIRA tasks, you know, that you do and vet everything and they are the ones who are implementing them and building them. And so incredibly engineering driven culture, um, where engineers are basically from soup to nuts supposed to come up with a solution and implement it and deploy it and monitor it. And, um, and then I also, yeah, like the sort of focus was really new to me, like I remember I did something once and my new manager said to me, that's negative work. Why did you do that? <laughs> I was so offended. I thought, I'm just trying to help. You know, I had extra cycles. I took a ticket from the backlog and did it. And he said, well, it's a waste of time. Now somebody has to spend time reviewing that. And you know, your code isn't good enough anyway, like for this task. And so, oh, wow. you you know, you may as well have just waited. I was going to teach you how to do whatever you wanted to do today. If you had just given me some time, you know, and it's funny because at the time I was really offended by that, but as I've gone further in my career, now I'm at Framework, um, I kind of see the same thing happen sometimes where I see an engineer take a ticket and think, they're kind of doing negative work and other people are gonna have to help them do it. And there's more important things to be done. And I get kind of jaded about it a little bit, but I think, <laughs> you know, it's um, it was a lesson of like, wow, focus is like incredibly important. You know, you waste people's time if you don't have it. Um, and like I said, I think that the other thing about working with the engineers there is just the quality of everything and the process. and it's more about not, you know, how to be could be perfect people, but how do you build a perfect process so that if people make mistakes, right. they get caught before things get deployed to space or something, you know. So <laughs> right. um, that was a really, really big lesson for me. And you know, wow. at my new company that I work at now, I've tried to apply that and be like, how can we kind of catch people if they fall so that it doesn't end up in customers so that they see what happens. You know, maybe we deploy a mistake to our staging environment where we're testing things out, but it should never make it to production and you know, trying to keep that quality bar high is pretty hard. But I think, you know, coming from SpaceX, it wasn't as hard to say, like, this is how we did things there. You know, to some degree, you know, we want to make sure we're reviewing things twice and we're testing things out and trying to run the code that we write and not just assuming that it's correct. So those are some of the lessons I learned from the engineers there, Um, you know, without going into too many details. um, Yeah, just the quality was incredibly high and uh, every day counted. And it was just so rewarding to see, you know, missions happen and, and, you know, rockets take off and we actually get a patch for every mission you're there for. You get a sort of like a knitted patch. I don't know if they still do it, but every time I got patches, I just thought, wow, I had a part in making that happen. I was able to wow. contribute something, you know, of these 10,000 people. I did my little part to make this thing happen. So it was amazing.
0: Wow. That is amazing. And then, you know, from SpaceX, I think great segue, you can Let's transition to framework. Tell us what that is and what that experience has been like. Sure.
1: Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, at a certain point, after around 18 months, I kind of burned out pretty hard at SpaceX. I was falling asleep (laughs) with my laptop every night. You know, uh, I don't have to tell you much. I mean, just do your research on the Internet. I'm not Uh, going to speak (laughs) all of them, but just Google it. I mean, it's all all right
0: there. It's all right there, Zach. It's an open book. You can just Google it, right?
1: Exactly. So, (laughs) you know, no offense, man. It just wasn't the right place for me long term. And I guess I like to refer to it as like a tour of duty. You know, I'm really happy I did it. Uh, It feels almost like being in the military, you know, not. As hard as that, you know, I really salute everyone who serves our country because that's course. a very difficult job. But it felt like, you know, I did my time, I helped out as much as I could. I miss my family. COVID is sort of the end seems near. I need to go back to the East Coast and figure this out. So so I resigned again and uh you know headed back to the East Coast. And then I was looking for new places to work and I had a list from applying at SpaceX and other places of companies I was interested in, some of which weren't in an aerospace, and one of them was framework and went back to their site after those, you know, that like year and a half, two year period. And I saw that not only had they had the idea to build a new laptop with parts that were replaceable, but they had actually shipped a laptop with parts that were replaceable and were selling it to people now. So so that was pretty amazing. They actually shipped their product, got it out uh, to the public, that kind of thing. Um, And I thought maybe they also need tech help. Let me send them an email, you know, just like with Getaway. And, uh, yeah, they were hiring for a senior software engineer. And I asked, can I interview? And, and I did, and, you know, uh, around a month after that I ended up starting with the company and yeah, I'm still here. So.
0: Wow. I mean, what a journey, man. I mean, to, from the program to all of the things you've done to you know becoming a full-time engineer and the things that you've been able to do and i mean just what what i like about it is that it just it shows the width of yes you can be music business can seem very specific but the skills that we learn and the skills that we have We have to be able to think creatively about them, that they can go into many different places. And we are not just pigeonholed to working at a record label or anything like that, that if you do need to pivot, if you do need to change, that while it can be difficult, you can tap into the things that you have and the things that you love to do and find the lane for it. Oh, 100%.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I'm not the only example, like by far people who have done some amazing things with the music business uh, degree, like, obviously, there actually are a lot of software engineers. It's funny, there are a bunch of people from the program I kept in touch with uh, Travis Kaufman, uh, Liam, a bunch of other folks who kind of ended up going into software engineering. And that was kind of cool to see. But you've also got people who then went to law school and are practicing there, maybe Mm -hmm. helping out with like the refugee crisis doing like really amazing things. And Uh, You know, you've got I have one guy from from the program who became a journalist. I mean, a music journalist. Jeff Benjamin works for Billboard covers uh, K-pop stuff is just huge in that. But, uh, you know, we didn't really cover journalism in super high depth in the program, but he pivoted and got over there and he's doing something amazing with that. So I think you're right. I think. The program can really take you to any place you want it to. And again, it feels like there's a really entrepreneurial vibe in it. Uh, and the people you meet are all doing such different cool things. You learn so much from them, uh, stay in touch over the years. And then like different opportunities come out. Um, you know, I think, again, I think I've like even interviewed one or two folks who pivoted to software engineering, who were from the program and we got to reminisce about it and
0: stuff. So, yeah. I've been one to ask this question. I asked this of all of my guests. Zach, what are you curious about right now?
1: Sure. So, um, let me think for a second. So, yeah, we're we're coming out with a new laptop soon, uh, which is called the Framework Laptop 16, and I think it could be the ultimate DJ machine. And the reason why really? I say
0: this, so we've, we've yeah. come full circle to the music business. That's right.
1: Yeah. And partially, it's that I want to come full circle to the music business and get more involved. And, you know, I still play my guitar at night, and I still occasionally take out the DJ equipment for a friend's wedding or something. But Um, You know, I'd love to see our products get used by musicians more, and this laptop is really interesting because um, it's very customizable, like all of our products, where you can put in a custom keyboard or LED matrices on either side, Uh, and so I'm imagining one day, I don't know, partnering with like Newmark or Vestax or one of these companies and building a custom controller for it with like, you know, um, know, wheels and uh, crossfader and all this stuff and then waveform visualizations. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm actually working a little bit more on the firmware and like hardware side these days, as much as I can learning, really curious about that, trying to learn more about it and kind of moving not only from, uh, doing like web development, but also to like, how can I work on hardware a little bit? And you know, how does a computer actually work? Like, how do you make a rock think is kind of the question. And I'm trying to learn more about that. So I'd say that's what I'm most curious about right now.
0: Wow. Very cool. My final, my final question. If you could go back and talk to yourself on the first day that you started the program what would you say to yourself
1: invest in bitcoin or buy more tesla stock Just kidding.
0: <laughs> invest in bitcoin time travel
1: uh no but <laughs> i think um yeah i guess i would say like pursue the parts of it that appeal to you the most and don't take the easy path like you know, I think some people go to school and they're like, "There's a curriculum. There's sort of a menu of classes. Let me just like, you know, take the easy ones and party and and all this stuff." And I mean, that's great. I partied a fair amount at school, you know, and enjoyed myself <laughs> and everything. But I think, you know, there's sort of the prescribed path, and then there's the path you can make for yourself. And I think Sam really mentioned this in his uh, his podcast interview where he said um you know something like uh things aren't always gonna go the way that you think they're gonna go and like life isn't just like a prescribed like journey they like every step is outlined for you and i think when you start college uh or you start a program like this you think like there's a way to get to where i want to go and do what i want to do and i have to follow that path and do that thing but i think like it's just important to be curious pursue your interests, don't take the easy path like for me that was taking a minor in web apps and programming after i found a passion for that Uh, building those artist websites as a freelancer. And, you know, that ended up being something pretty amazing. And studying abroad in Prague, I learned about Europe. And, you know, when we opened the coding school in Amsterdam, I knew a lot about uh, just like the geography, how things work over there a little more. So I think like, yeah, do those things. Don't be afraid to get out of your comfort zone and do something crazy. Um, And yeah, just pursue the parts of it that appeal to you the most. And don't, you know, uh,
0: let your curiosity go unsatiated, I guess. I think that's a good... I think that's a good place to end it everyone i mean because yeah you can't that's the cherry on top (laughs) (laughs) of a a great conversation i think no better way to end it um everyone that is zach feldman lead software engineer a framework zach thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experience it's been a great conversation and i think the listeners are going to get a lot out of this because You've had an amazing career, and I'm sure there's going to be much more amazing things that you're going to do. Many more things to come.
1: Thanks, Bryce. That's that's really kind of you to say, and it was my pleasure. It was great to be on. Thanks for the conversation.
0: Absolutely. Everyone, that is another episode um, of People from the Program. You can follow me on Twitter at BryceB88. Um, stay tuned. I'll have more episodes coming soon, but in the meantime, take care and be well. Thanks for listening to this episode of People From The Program. Be sure to check us out anywhere you listen to your podcasts and stay tuned for future episodes of the show.